I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, folks, always excited to be in the First Gen Lounge because there are so many amazing people who just drop in to hang out with us and to tell us about who they are and what they've been through. I actually have the privilege today of speaking with one of my former classmates. Her name is Danielle Beal. So, you know, Sean Yu has been in the building. Like, I'm, I'm excited about that because we out here. Um, Danielle, hello. How are you today? Hi, Dr. Eve. I'm great. How are you? Wonderful, wonderful, wonderful. It's still colder than I like for it to be, but I'm going to survive. Like, it's, it's going to be fun. Look, we are excited to have you here on today. And, you know, I always say it on every show, I just like to jump right on into it. So tell us, Danielle, who you are and what is it that you do? All right. And before I tell you that, I do want to thank you so much for having me on the show. It is a privilege. So thank you so much. Oh, gosh. Thank you for being here. Thank you. And as Dr. Eve mentioned, I am Danielle Beal. I'm a native of Suffolk, Virginia. I am the founder of Danielle Beal Consulting, which specializes in life coaching services. I mean, self-care is at the heart of everything that I do. Prior to becoming an entrepreneur, I have a background in financial services and insurance. And so I did that for three years and I reached a point where I was fed up. I was emotionally drained, physically drained, irritable. And I wanted to create something bigger than me, which supported my values and didn't limit me. So as a life coach, I have more time to do the things that make me come alive while helping others, you know, reach their desired outcomes and also create new normals for them. That's really cool that you're a life coach. What was it that did it for you to say, I'm going to scrap what I've been doing and become a life coach? And so basically uh, for me, it's like, I realized that everything that I was already doing was aligning with the life coach. Um, So in the ways in which I counseled my friends or the ways in which as a minister, I consoled other persons, I was like, wow, being a life coach is at the heart of every single thing that I'm doing. And also I interned at the Boys and Girls Club and I facilitated workshops. I'm like, okay, after doing the research, I'm like, everything that I'm doing aligns with the life coach. So why not go for it? It's natural for me. I love doing it. I'm going to have a passion for it. So I took the leap. That's really cool. You took the leap. Nothing like the leap. Was the leap scary for you? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) And what did you, so what did you do to like get through that? Because people would be like leaping. Uh Uh-uh, that's not comfortable. Because, you know, we don't like change a whole lot because it requires us to be uncomfortable. So, yeah, what was that like for you to get through the I'm okay, I'm okay? Right. Well, I have a history of leaping, I I must say. (laughs) Let's see, May of, no, February of 2016, I took the leap and moved from Suffolk, Virginia to Raleigh, North Carolina. And for that first year in North Carolina, it was a lot of bumps in the road. I moved with minimal things, literally like a kitchen table and my clothes. I had no furniture. I did not really know what was next, but I took that leap. Mm. And from there, you know, unfortunately, I ended up having to move back. I was evicted. 
So that kind of prepared me for the leap that I took, you know, as an insurance agent to become a life coach, because I'm like, okay, I feel like I've already hit my rock bottom. So why not shoot for the stars? Like, you know, why not give it another chance? Why not try something different? Because mm. to me, it was like the worst thing that I could do is fail. The worst thing that could happen is it not work out, but I learned from it. So I, you know, I just keep it pushing. Like even in the midst of being scared, finances being shaky, I'm like, no, this is what I know God has created me to do. So I'm going to walk in it, even afraid, even if it doesn't make sense to me or people, you know, I'm going to just do it. Got to trust yourself, right? Got to trust the journey. Absolutely. And it's interesting too, that you've mentioned a couple of times being in ministry. And what I understand about you is that you actually went to Shaw and got a BA in psychology. What happened? Yes. Uh, So basically in the midst of me taking the leap the first time that I relocated back to Raleigh, in in those moments I went through, I would say the hardest financial crunch that I'd ever been in. I was in this uh, stage of away from family. Mm. Uh, The friends who used to live in Raleigh were no longer there. So I'm here in this place that was like a second home and now it feels foreign to me. And so it was very developmental for me an aspect of looking inward. And I realized in those moments, okay, God, what is it that you want me to do? It's getting really hard right now. I have deviated from your plan for my life. You know, what is it that you want me to do? And so when I relocated back to Virginia, there was a message that my pastor said one night at a Bible study. And from there, I was like, okay, God, this is what you want me to do. This entire time, you have called me into ministry. And I struggled with all of these years feeling uh, unworthy, just maybe because of the wild days Mm. or, you know, just self-doubt and different things like that. But pushing through that and I'm like, okay, God, none of us are worthy. So, you know, I'm like, okay, I am going to walk into this, you know, not knowing what this entails. But I know that you have called me to preach your word and to help free people. Mm, That's very interesting that you took your pain and turned it into your purpose. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that it was all about, you know, trusting God because, you know, I'm not saying people aren't called to ministry from different fields, but I know the people that I've known historically have kind of like, I've always known I was going to be in the ministry. So they go to school for undergrad for theology and kind of keep it going. And I know that, you know, it's things happen that put us where we're supposed to be. So I'm glad that you honored that call on your life to say, I'm going to commit to what this thing is in spite of the failure, in spite of the uncertainty, in spite of just not knowing for myself, like that was very bold of you because some people will run the other way because ministry is a a large, it's a large task to take on. Absolutely. It's a large, it's a large call. It's a large responsibility. That's what I'm saying. So kudos to you. What is it like? Because you are, I believe, the first female minister that I've actually had on the show. So what is it like to even be a female minister? Can you talk about that even a little bit? Because I know it's still a male-dominated world. Absolutely. Absolutely. So being a woman and being in ministry is very challenging. You often, what I do, I pay close attention to the language that people use. Many men use male-dominated language. And it's interesting that there are other women in ministry who do not think that women should be pastors. So they are oppressed and yet, you know, operate out of those oppressive mindsets. And so to be one, a woman in ministry and to be bold and to see the need for women to have their voice, I think that is the challenge because not only do you wrestle against the men, it's women as well. And you would think that women would stick together, but it's always this competitive nature and also the oppressive mindset that as a woman, no, you should be silent. No, you should wear this. You know, your dress is too short or, you know, you're not what a minister looks like. And so my journey has been redefining what the minister looks like. 
because those behaviors and those thoughts, they actually affected me initially coming into ministry. I'm like, I don't look like a minister. I wear hoop earrings. I'm not wearing a skirt to my ankles. You know, like, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not about that right. life. I'm going to be me. <laughs> so it's definitely challenging as a woman. And I think it's critical for women in ministry to find their voice and to not allow it to be watered down based on men or based on women who are still operating out of oppressive behavior. I can dig that. And part of that is because when you think about ministry or church, you know, it's, it's said a lot these days that more people have become spiritual and not religious. And I'll be very candid. I'm one of those people who's become more spiritual rather than religious because I think the association with religion has taken on some kind of a, I don't want to say it's for everybody, but for a number of people, more or less a, a negative connotation because it can be, like you were saying, oppressive. And in the fact that when you don't see people who look like you, that can relate to you, that resonate with you, I think you tend to feel condemned when you're in any traditional religious setting or, you know, a church or what have you. And I say that because if I saw you, like you said, with your hoop earrings and you were like, yeah, you know, I'm a minister, but you already got your hoop earrings on. So you've already dismantled what I believe, you know, you're supposed to look like and how you're supposed to be. And then therefore that connection, I think, is what helps to be able to really minister to people because people want to see people who look like them, who've been through what they've been through. Right. So I commend you, you know, even in that for continue to stay on that journey because in this day and age, we need somebody who's real and people who can talk with us and not talk at us. And the fact that you were like, yeah, I'm here to like show a little different. I'm like, oh, all right, I'm with it. Okay. <laughs> very, very cool. So yeah. So, you know, thinking about you mentioning several times that you are in spaces where traditionally you haven't necessarily belonged. And what I mean by that is even being first generation, being an African-American, being a woman, you know, so many things from the collegiate perspective and going to school. Cause you know, one time we couldn't even go to school right? and then now in a, in a new space, what would you say, especially with, with this being Women's History Month, what would you say to women who are even first generation, just like yourself, like you and I, who are showing up in spaces where they feel like they don't belong? What would you tell them about going wherever it is that they're going to go? I would say to go, even if you're nervous or even if you're afraid, be unapologetic about who you are. Don't allow yourself to shrink because you may make others uncomfortable. And just be true to who you are because God is able to use our individuality. And you are unique and different for a reason. And that is to maybe change that space that you are going into or to change the mindsets of those people. Amen. <laughs> I'm with it. I love being empowered as a woman. <laughs> and... And I, and I love what you said, be unapologetic. I'm all about being unapologetic because we are so often having to say sorry about Absolutely. things. It's like, why am, I, why am I sorry for this? Like, why? Right. Like, sis, I see you. Why, why am I sorry? Yeah. So thinking about being sorry, <laughs> has there ever been a time in your life where you found yourself in a situation where you were just kind of like, I really wish somebody would have told me about this a long time ago? If so, what was that? And how did you overcome that particular thing? The one thing that I wish someone would have told me about in life and ministry and across the board is that it's okay not to have everything figured out. The fact that I thought I was a failure at times because I didn't really have everything planned out uh, crippled me. No one actually helped me to find out what was next because they didn't know either. But it's always like, you need to get your stuff together. You needed to get it together. And I'm like, how? You know, what does that look like? What does that mean? And 
what I'm realizing is at the point of you saying, I don't know, you're actually availing yourself to the process, however that process may be for you. And to those who are believers, I believe that you are availing yourself to God. You are saying, okay, this is out of my control, but it's a great place to be. I believe the notion of thinking I always had to have everything figured out created a need for me to always be in control. And that is something that I'm currently still working through to this day based on hearing, you know, as a child, you have to have everything figured out. And so how I'm working through the need to be in control, I'm being intentional Mm -hmm. about saying, okay, I'm all right if I don't really know what's next, but I'm going to, you know, do what I can within the parameters for myself. But if it doesn't work out completely this way, then I'm okay with it. I give myself the space to make mistakes and to be flexible to change. And yeah. When you say being flexible to change, what do you mean by that? Because sometimes we have become so programmed and processed that we think that everything has to flow a certain way. So if I'm willing to change in the event that I need to shift, if there's something else that I need to focus on, I'm able to do that without saying, okay, man, I didn't get this done or I didn't check this off my list. It's like, it's okay. Things do not always go as we plan it. And we have to give ourselves the space to allow life to happen, to allow God to happen for believers, you know, that space. So that is what I mean. I can do that. You say too that a part of what you believe in or that you're passionate about is helping people to change the trajectory of their lives. When you say that, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, basically, that means that say that the trajectory of your life is that you would, you know, right now you're in a space where you don't see yourself growing beyond where you are. So to change the trajectory of that is more so helping Mm. you to discover that you are able to change your current reality, that there's more out there for you. So it's shifting from a current place of stagnation into a place of potential, a place of growth, a place of discovery. So it's changing that mindset that this is all that there is to life and opening yourself up to the possibilities of anything that you desire to achieve. You have a favorite moment in the time that you spent coaching where someone has changed in a way that you're just like, I can't believe I did that. Absolutely. Uh, Recently, uh, my client, we somewhat shared a struggle was basically in spiritual development and trying to understand God's voice. So it's interesting because for her, she, you know, she thought God only spoke through the pastor or through the prophet or through this bishop or whomever it was that was in the front on Sundays Mm. to the point that she reached out to someone on social media and then they sent her an invoice. And at that point, you know, you know, I'm like, wow, they're trying to make a come up off the point. Like, really? (laughs) Freaking out a spirituality. And so they took full advantage, I I believe. And so we, you know, we had this discussion about discerning the voice of God and understanding that God speaks through nature. God speaks through other people. God, you know, don't limit how God speaks to you. And it was at a moment recently, you know, she was applying to different jobs and she called me frantic and, you know, she actually received many offers and she was like, I need help. And I'm like, I can't give you, you know, an answer, but I can, you know, help you somewhat shape it. And so we talked through it. And then a few days later, she called me back and was like, you know what? I'm at a place of I'm able to discern what God is saying to me. And she said, you know, just 
thank you for that. And so for that, for me, the moment was critical because I'm like, wow, she, you know, took the time to avail herself to study the pray to fast and to not only take the information that I have for her, but to seek on her own. And I believe that when she gave me that call back and was like, you know what, I'm able to make this decision on my own. I got it. I know what's best for me. I know how God is leading me. That was that moment for me where I'm like, man, like, are you serious? And she's like, girl, it's because of you. Like, I got like, yeah. like, yeah, shout out to me, but also shout out to God, you know, but I was like, I'm grateful to be a resource. You know, I'm grateful that I was an aid on her journey. Mm, an aid on her journey. That's uh, a powerful way to say that because we can't control anybody else. We are here to help each other. And the fact that you see, like you said, shout out to me, but shout out to God for doing that because it is something greater. So kudos to you too and to God for like making that work out. Okay. Because it is, I mean, it's really cool to think that, and and I've said it, you know, on a show recently that I don't believe we're put on this earth to walk the journey alone that we are supposed to help each other. And it's not always about what we're doing directly, but sometimes what we do indirectly. So even in what you're doing to help other people to dismantle some of these, you know, societal falsehoods or to, you know, just step into their own space. It's living your life, you know, encouraging others. Cause clearly she sought you out for a reason. It was how you were living your life that made her want to be a part of that. And then you ended up transforming hers, you know, through so many ways. So I, I think that's real dope. Right. Thank you. Oh, she was so welcome. So, you know, I do know that you are a current graduate student. Yes. And I'm like, who? I remember the days. I remember the days. <laughs> Lord. Just out of curiosity, because you are now at a second HBCU. Yes. One, what made you choose HBCUs from the start? And then two, what has your experience been like as a graduate student, especially being somebody who's first generation? So what made me seek an HBCU initially was I love the marching band, right? So I was <laughs> That's a good reason. Like, like I was a band. I was in band in high school as well as college. So it was just like, wow, marching band. I see in the culture, I was able to, you know, go on many HBCU campuses from being in the band in high school. And it just got me from that moment. I was like, I love the connection. It felt like home. It felt like family. And for me, that was a vibe that I didn't get when I was went to PWIs. And so, you know, for me, that was the deciding factor. Like, no, I'm sticking with HBCUs. Mm. I may avail myself beyond graduate school. Um, but right now I'm still like, nah, you know, I want, I'm sticking with the HBCUs for now. And as a graduate student, first gen graduate student um, at Virginia Union, it is really interesting because on this level, you don't really see, like you really didn't, for me, I didn't know anyone who went to graduate school. So, for me, I didn't really know what to expect. And I came into it, you know, really not knowing what it would look like. I always thought that you had to take certain exams and different things to get into graduate school, but it was different for seminary. Mm -hmm. But upon entering, just more so the workload, you know, it's different. (laughs) And as a first gen, I believe that you just really have to have a support system in place to keep you grounded in your process in graduate school. Because it's easy to get distracted and want to say, you know what, this is too much. Because you are working full time and you are in school full time and also managing other things and also attempting to have a social life it's a lot (laughs) it's a whole lot it's a whole whole lot I remember my days of grad school I used to be like am I going crazy like am I tripping but it it will challenge you emotionally spiritually academically it's it's the every challenge that you need and you know there's some people who actually end up having PTSD Mm. because of going to grad school because it's so traumatic and people think well it's just school 
but it really challenges the depth of who you are when you've got to manage your life and manage your academics. And then when they both are so consuming and then to let one go over the other may mean to sacrifice a whole lot here for, you know, a whole lot there, but it's like, I'm not getting anywhere, but you know, I love, I loved it at the end of the day. I love school. Like I'd be a student for life, but we ain't gonna talk about that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. So I'm curious to know as well, since you've given out so much great advice and perspective, what is some of the greatest or the best or most moving advice you've ever gotten from anybody? The best advice that someone has given me, it's really simple, but it's really the best advice that I hold on to. Like, it's a, be you, <laughs> be you. And that, and the reason why that means so much to me is because, as I mentioned earlier, shrinking. And oftentimes we shrink and water ourselves down because it makes other people uncomfortable. And many times we negate who we are because we fear being perceived as cocky or arrogant. And I believe that also we've been taught to reduce ourselves and that once we reduce ourselves, it's being humble. But if you're bold, be bold. And so for me, it's like, be you. And even in ministry as a life coach, I'm like, okay, Danielle, be you. Because that's what people want. They want someone that's real, that they can connect to. They don't want a representative or the mask. And so daily, I'm like, be you. Be you, Danielle. Even in moments when I find myself somewhat shrinking, I'm like, no, be unapologetic. Be you. So that is legit the best advice someone has given me. Hmm. want to dig a little deeper into that. When you say be you, and I'm like, well, I'm a be me. Mm-hmm. How does a person or how would you, you know, tell a person they would know when they are being themselves and that's not to be complicated but I just wanted because we say that all the time be you be authentic you know be 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 for real and it's like well where does a person find a balance between being who they are and then being who they believe they're expected to be because I think that's a tough space to navigate absolutely it is a tough space I believe that We have to get to a point of not caring what expectation of who it should be is. Because in my discovery, being you is saying, okay, the way that I am is enough. I am sufficient just as I am. The way that I speak, the way that, you know, I think, the way that I dress. It's knowing that you are enough and that no matter who you're around, you don't have to change that, you know, based on corporate or church or whatever it is. You don't have to change that. You can literally just be who you are and know that it's okay. I mean, I believe the difficult piece for the balance is, as you mentioned, the expectation of what other people think. So getting to a place of, I don't care if you like me or not, you know, if you don't approve of me, I approve of myself. So I believe at the core of that is self-love, knowing that we are enough, because if we don't know that we are enough, then we won't know how to be us, because we'll think, no, if I be me, I won't be accepted. If I be me, you know, people won't like me, or this may be too much, but I don't think it's up to people to tell us if we're too much. You know, I believe that, again, as a, if you are a believer, that God will correct you and convict you in certain areas if it is too much. But I believe we look at people to do that. And that's where the issue is with being you. I wish I could take my shoe and throw it across the room at you. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I could have said that better. Like, seriously, you said it, you know that you are enough, no matter where you show up or how you are, even in the way that you speak, that resonated a whole lot. So I felt that. I hope y'all felt that. Y'all should feel that, knowing that you are enough. And I think that's what it, what it really means, right? Being authentic. I am enough the way that I am. So that means if I speak with a little bit of slang or throw, you know, a cuss word here or there, which I ain't done on the show, because I'm going to respect you. <laughs> you know, like, you know, just thinking about right. how, how we navigate the world and never think that, well, people like me. 
if I am black or woman or plus size or just real with mine and to say that there, there's always, I believe, a community of people who are just like you. We just have to find our community. And, you know, I just kind of think to social media these days, it's actually easy to find our people. I think, you know, traditionally it's been a little bit more difficult for people who maybe feel ostracized or kind of like not like everybody else around them. You know, if I'm living in Bone Talk, Louisiana, and I'm a black woman who's trying to do some things, you know, dominate my field of education or something. And I only use Louisiana because I just thought deep south. Um, and that's what I, but no rule because I love Louisiana. I do. But it's just thinking of, you know, just places where people would think that there are still some ties between who I'm supposed to be, who I am and what I want to be. But then I know in New York, you know, everybody's there and everybody's living free in L.A., you know, you kind of you can find your space, but even with the internet, I can join a group now right. and have a whole support virtual. Right. So it's just it's interesting that you say that, you know, to know that you are enough. But I think our society has evolved enough where you can find your space no matter where you are, for sure. Oh, gosh. Yeah. But, oh, man. I enjoy these conversations so much. Absolutely. I mean, I'm realizing like, oh, it's about time for us to wrap up. So at the wrap up, I want to ask you the big question. And that question is, if you had anything that you wanted to leave us with to carry with us for life, what would that word be? And not just the word, but, you know, what would that that thought be for us to carry? Okay, so that thought would be stop neglecting yourself at the expense of others. And this is focusing on self-care. So it's been embedded in our minds to put everyone else's needs before our own, even when we are feeling depleted. We're expected to give what we are in need of. And so oftentimes we are taught that these toxic, self-negating behaviors are noble, when in reality, we're no good to others if we do not first take care of ourselves. So I would say, please make self-care a daily practice and remember that you can't pour from an empty cup. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you for that. Thank you for that. So, Danielle, people are going to want to find you since we've already talked about the internet and social media, you know, finding your space. <laughs> and what spaces are you hanging out? Where can folks find you if they want to connect with you? You can find me on Instagram, dbconsulting underscore or Facebook. I am Danielle Bill or Danielle Bill. And there is a link on my Facebook and Instagram page directly to me. You may send an email or you can, you know, schedule an appointment, however you would like to communicate with me. Awesome awesome with Danielle wishing you nothing but the best of luck as you continue your journey through grad school continue to just you know walk in your purpose and shine your light because the world needs it and I have really enjoyed this conversation today thank you so much thank you so much for having me Dr. E you are so welcome